Listener Production. Shares, Market. the S&P, the ISX stocks. This is the Motley Fool Money Mailbag. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, our very special Sunday Mailbag Edition. I am still camped at the house of Mr. Andrew Page, who, as we all know, is the founder, managing director, and chief cook and bottle washer at strawman.com, which is a... Um, a um, I thought we were past I this. I did so well on I Friday. I thought we were past it. <laughs> You're not surprised, though, are you? No, no, no. <laughs> just, dis- it, just disappointed. Is it, <laughs> oh, is it better or worse that I make that joke actually in your presence rather than over Zoom? Um, yeah, it's it's a tough. It's just it's just such a great joke that you know, in person or not, keeps on giving, doesn't it? It just keeps on giving. Now, mate, since Friday, of course, we've had pillow fights, we've had sleepovers, we've had marshmallows. <laughs> I'm still at your place on this Sunday morning. Uh, I note that uh, not much has changed in terms of the landlord's responses to your um, very very reasonable issues. Um, you're holding your breath. Yeah, oh, any moment now. <laughs> And I expect... Flying through the door, cape in hand. Well, it's not just that they'll come around and fix it. They will be sending qualified tradespeople around. Of course. And uh, they will do an excellent job. No expense will be spared. I'm expecting during this podcast we're going to knock on the door, mate. We'll have to pause it at some point yep. because they'll be... Oh, well, you know, and they'll make it a priority too. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm I'm the eternal optimist. Mm. I um, wish you luck. Mate, um, let's, let's get on to the questions. Let's move out of your tale of woe and other people's tales, hopefully, of joy and excitement. This one just comes from Sam, mate, who says, Hi, Scott and Andrew. I'd be interested in your thoughts on why the S&P 500 has increased so dramatically in the past 10 to 12 years compared to previous periods. Mm. Has the US economy really done so much better? relative to its own past performance and the performance of other economies during that period? Thanks from Sam. Hmm. Well, the, the market is not the economy. The economy that's is not really the market. The first point, yes. that's, that's the first point to make. Um, the other point is that you've got to be careful in what... Here's the great thing about the stock market. You can prove any point you want. You'll find whatever data you want. If you want to make it an argument about being a terrible investment, you'll find 10-year periods where it just didn't go anywhere. Right. Um, and you'll find other periods, again, over the last 10 to 12 years, you know, coming out the other side of the GFC. It's been mm. an incredible period. So there's a base effect in all of this as well. I think the only rational way you can look at it is just take a very long-term average and think it's probably going to stick around something like that over long periods of time. Mm. What's... Well, which is a great comfort and great motivation mm. to invest in the first place. Yeah. The harder thing is once you start doing it, you realize that every day and week and month feels like an eternity. And even, <laughs> you know, years can go by <laughs> right. where you, when, you look, when you zoom in in some of these long-term charts, you realize there are multi, a lot of multi-year periods where things were just really, really hard. And mm. it feels like it's never going to end and, and the rest of it. So um, I think... Yeah, I think they're, they're the only points that, that I would make. I would expect – I mean, you can look it up, right? Just Google mm, US mm, GDP. Mm. And I think from memory, it's probably been well, pretty underwhelming. Not great. Um, bouncing outside, outside the other side of GFC, I know it's probably around 2% on average over that period of time. Yeah. But the market was in a very bad place when you start that, and it was in a pretty euphoric place up until a year ago. Mm. And that, that probably helps explain the difference. What do you think? Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right, Matt. So I, I think a couple of things. Um, I, there's, there's actually some compositional stuff, actually, which I will talk about. So the, I think the, the stock market not being in the economy is really, really important. And that's why I actually – that's my number one reason for thinking that shares will outperform property over the next 10 or 15, 20 years. And it's not that, it's not that, it's not that businesses will do better than 
all property. It's not that the top 200 ASX companies will do better than the top 200 properties. It's that property as an asset class is the Australian property market. There is no subset. I mean, you can do it by state and city and whatever, but there's no subset, right? We talk about shares. We talk about profits from businesses, but it's not just businesses. It's 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 a very, 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 very select group. The ones that have proven themselves, generally speaking, there's some very big exceptions, to be worthwhile of, of listing on the ASX in the first place, being big enough, being successful enough, attracting enough money in the first place to kind of make that. It's almost, it's almost like, you know, the, the, the English soccer promotion and relegation system, right? This is the Premier League, whereas there's no Premier League in property. Not that there couldn't be. There absolutely could be. And I'm not even entirely sure if you could do it. You might do perfectly well in property if you got the, the Premier League properties, right? But if someone says, I'm going to invest in property, plural, or shares, plural, it's, it, you're not comparing apples with apples. Of course, they're different. But even universe size, mm. it's a very different thing. So there's that. The composition thing, though, I think is also worth talking about. I don't have a strong certainty on the answer to this question. But I would say that if you think about what the S&P 500 has done over the last 10 or 15 years, the, the most obvious, I think, change has been the rise and rise and rise of technology. And so if you look at the NASDAQ, for example, it's done even better than the S&P 500. Now, NASDAQ and S&P aren't mutually exclusive. There are plenty of NASDAQ companies in the S&P 500. 20 years ago, I'm going to say the only tech company in the S&P 500 was probably IBM. I mean, there, would have been, there would have been network switching companies and cable yep. companies, right? But think about then, I own some of these. Microsystems. Think about, yeah, right. Think about yeah. Amazon. Think about Netflix. Think about Google. Think about Apple's growth. Not necessarily, yeah. probably wasn't the S&P 500. Think about its growth. Mm-hmm. Think about Tesla. Think about Facebook. Think about NVIDIA. Um, the, the tech companies, the tech titans of today weren't as dominant. And again, tech is growing faster by virtue of its business model, it just it tends to than some of the others. Now, that's reversed a lot in the last 12 months, by the way. So to Sam's point and to yours, Ram, it may well be that this was the exception that proves the rule, or it may be there was a step change just because the the composition of the market, that is those tech companies as well, just simply changed over that period of time. I'm not, I'm not sure that is part of it, but you should include it for sure in any consideration of that growth. Yeah, yeah. I mean... You're not convinced? No, I, I, I am, I, but I mean... I, I think the best investment returns, mm. my fundamental belief is that happen during periods of structural change when yeah. industries get yeah. turned upside down. Yep. And um, it doesn't have, it's actually happening more, Howard Marks wrote about this not long ago, but it's mm. happening more frequently than it ever has. There's always yes. been new technology going from the stone wheel to the wooden wheel <laughs> and all the way through to, you know, yeah. self-landing rockets and the rest of it. Yeah. But, but that pace is accelerating. But geez, when you, all of those companies, <laughs> as you say, are technology companies. Yeah. And this thing called the internet came along and it changed literally everything. It's kind of a big deal. And it's kind of a big deal. And, yeah. and so I, you had that, you had that incredible run up. Things got overheated. Again, this is always the way, right? Things, people see something, well, they, they take ages to see it. They finally see it. They get too excited. Then they get too depressed. And then they get too excited. But amongst it all, when you want to name any great long-term success, even if you go back to the 50s or the 60s, it always had that theme to it mm-hmm. where someone coming in, either creating a brand new industry that didn't exist mm-hmm. or turning that industry upside down. So it's completely off topic of the question. Mm-hmm. But it's a point I'd make because when I look at a lot of the companies I'm holding, they're, not that they're changing the world but they are bringing solutions to problems that just couldn't have existed that long ago and that doesn't mean they'll get it right but the ones that do get it right stand to do very well can i say something stupid and and make myself sound like the guy the head of ibm who said the maybe six supercomputers in the world uh, back in 1950 whenever he said that Uh, obviously remarkably wrong i am not sure how many generations of quantum improvement we have left 
in in the sense that not that there aren't going to be new companies, new industries, new whatevers, new technologies. There absolutely will be. But if you think about, you know, I used I've used the steel mill example before. If you if you if you had a steel mill in Western Sydney, and you did a pretty good job of it, and you thought, you know what, I, I'm going to expand my steel mill empire. Yep. I'm going to build a second steel mill. You had to raise, let's use modern money, hundreds of millions of dollars. Mm. And you would build that second steel mill 30, 40 kilometers away because you could reach it. Yep. And it would take seven years to build. Yep. And it would take four years to get to capacity. And then seven years after that, it finally got to profitability. You made your money back. You said, you know what? I think I'm going to open a third steel mill. Mm. And you slowly, ever so slowly, over generations, over a century, maybe possibly, ended up with a range of local monopolies or locally kind of dominant companies that did pretty well. Yeah. Then you go to consumer products and it probably took Coke 70 years to go from Southern America to America to the Western world and didn't even make it into the, really to the Eastern world, if you like, or the, or the kind of, you know, the Iron Curtain the, 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 until the end of the fall of communism. Yeah. So 70, 80, 90 years worth of that. And then you look at Facebook, which went from zero to two billion customers in what, 10, 15 years. Mm-hmm. Yep. The, the, because of the types of technology we've had, because of the growth those quantum shifts in in value creation. Yep. I don't know if there's any of those left. It doesn't mean new companies can't grow as quickly as Facebook or maybe even slightly quicker. Yeah. There's no quantum shifts left. We, we've gone from, from local to regional, regional to national, national to international, international to multinational, multinational to kind of everywhere all at once, which is the yeah. internet. And I'm not saying, again, I'm not, we're not saying that nothing good can happen, but I kind of feel like those those quantum shifts in, in humanity's kind of reach and, and growth and whatever... I feel like until we colonize Mars or discover some aliens, oh, sorry. we're kind of at the end of that. Strong, hard disagree. Tell me. Hard disagree. Tell I mean, me. I'm, I'm such a, I know myself and I know I'm a sucker for technology. Yeah. And I'm an optimist, you know, so oh, they're doing this now, you know? Um, and I get I'm way saying, carried away with Facebook. I'm saying they can't be anything quantum leap better. I'll give you a few. Definition. I'll give you okay, a few. Um, synthetic uh, bioengineering. I think the stuff they're doing with CRISPR is incredible. Right. So that, and the the other thing is with the technologies I'll mention, they all overlap, yeah. and that's when something really magical happens. Okay, yeah, yeah. So just a couple of things. So SynBio is is huge. Three um, uh, D printing, robotics, AI. Um, uh, just off the, just off the top of my head, yeah. four technologies yeah. whose time might be. Or f- fusion is another one, right? Like these <laughs> yeah. are things that are all bubbling away. And like with fusion, they might always be perpetually fifty years away. <laughs> yeah. But as we've seen, these things sort of they any technology is kind of like the tinkerers started working on decades before it actually everyone yeah. else found yeah. out about yeah. it. I I'm not saying that it will, but it's just that when when some of the progress because I keep a close eye on that stuff, mm-hmm. like wow, there's just so much that you can do, you yeah. know, and and it's all good and well to be able to edit genes, but there's a lot of genes it's hard to map. Oh, it just so happens that that augments really well with large Mm. data sets and AI that can help you with these kinds of things. It just so helps that some of the gene editing technology Mm. and the, um, you know, we can, we can, we can like a 3d printer, we can print genes. Mm. Now Mm. we can do gene drives and changing pop. We do so much amazing stuff on paper at least. So I don't know which one it will be, Mm. and I don't know when it will be, but I feel as though what, what tends to happen is we see these charts of this, steadily increasing exponential line, mm-hmm. whether that's sort of human energy consumption or population or living standards or wealth or what, and just everything's just sort of J-curving. The reality of it is it's actually more those 
you get that quantum leap. Mm. It's like, wow, inter internet's a great example, right? Wow, we've got the internet. Bam, everything explodes. Then it goes sideways mm. for a bit. Then mm. boom, mobile phones. Wow, now we can, and then boom, now we can put this into every device, you know? And it just sort of, it tends to sort of uh, have these big jumps. So mm. I hear what you're saying. And I'm all, I'd almost be bet to go, I'd almost say that of all the things I've missed, said, it'll be something completely out of left field <laughs> yeah, that's right. that just comes and changes right. things. Right. We've got a space industry now, yeah. you know, and it's just, I feel that whatever it is, mm. it, it has, it, it, history has been enough to sort of suggest mm. that things don't go sideways for too long. No, I'm, I just because I'm not suggesting there won't be more innovation. I, I, I guess what I'm saying is the, the new innovations came with a new size because they had more reach. Not that innovation is dead, but the next innovation that comes along doesn't have the ability to go from international to universal. Mm. The same way things went from local mm. or regional, regional, national, that, that, that you know, yeah. technology bought scale. Yeah. And we don't have any more scale left. You know, the internet reaches every person in the world who has a mobile device. That, that's yeah. done. There, there is no more scale left in that context. Well, not, not, more not for email, right. but maybe for a personal AI assistant. Sure. Like no one's like you know, a handful of people. But it, can't be, but it can't be bigger than the global population. Well, no, they, no, it can't. The, but market, it, the markets have expanded in, because technology allowed us to. Yeah. The size of the market, I mean, dollar-wise it can, but in terms of the available number of people it can touch, yeah. I think we're there. Like there's no, there doesn't feel like another frontier of that quantum of growth left yeah. as, a, as a market size. Different products, different innovations for sure, yeah. but not necessarily different market size yeah you're right you're right i mean that's that there'll there will be there will be layers there always are it's, ogres have layers <laughs> parfait has layers it's 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 what's built on top of it yeah the, the the mit i forget who it was whoever whoever wrote the original tcp ip protocols for the mm -hmm. internet you never know their names and they didn't yeah. make any money yet that was the foundation for uh -huh. everything that Literally, we call yeah you, you yeah, know the nasdaq yeah. today yeah. And so I, I feel as though, I, I think it's another thing I often think of is just we, we marvel at how far the internet has come. Mm. And I'm just of the strong view that we are at the, we're still at the caveman era of, yeah. of the information age. I mean, it, we, we're at the dawn of it. Mm. And what else will be built on top of that? I'm, I'm here, I don't know what it is, but I'm here for it, man. And I think, I think and, but your point is, okay, now we can touch everyone, but mm. we can touch everyone with new offerings and services yes, totally. that we didn't even know we wanted. I didn't know I needed Angry Birds until someone showed me their <laughs> iPhone, you know, in 2011 really know or whatever it was. Like, yeah, yeah. I am getting one of those, right? <laughs> and then it's, and I, now I cannot imagine my life without it. I suspect it'll be something like an AI assistant where I've just got my home set up and it's just going to do, yeah. you know, it's like having a PA, right? It'd be awesome. Fascinating though, to that point, and harking back to your Friday comment about where the value accrues in a value chain. Yes. Uh, you know, yes. The, the internet as a thing made almost no money for anybody. Yes. The ability to use the power of the internet made a squillion dollars for 100%. a whole lot of people. Yeah. And it is fascinating. You know, do we all have an AI? Yes. Is that AI company, uh, you know, uh, the world's richest company? Yeah. Maybe. Or is it maybe just a company that just, you know, Gmail, right? Think about, think about Gmail. Think about free email. How, how incredibly powerful ubiquitous that's become. Yeah, yeah. You know, Google used it to get some some eyeballs. Hotmail used it to get some eyeballs from Microsoft. It doesn't really it's make some, that much money, right? Yeah. And you kind of think, man, like some some of the stuff is remarkably profitable. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned the iPhone. That, that Apple make a squillion yeah. dollars from that, but other of that sort of stuff is is so yeah, cool. Well, with that GPS, right? Great, mate. We always talk about the airlines. Yeah. I mean, imagine going back 100 years and saying you'll be uh, everyone yes, will be flying yes, around the yes. world. It's like, oh, I'm investing in airlines. I would have Terrible house, investment. Your house, I would have stolen money to invest. Like it, it would have been, yeah, so obviously. Locomotive fantastic. engines before that. Right. Right. You right. know, it was, it, 
there, you're right. So that you, you can be right in what you think will happen technology-wise. But the mm. secondary question, the better question is, who's going to make, that, yeah. who's going to make the, the bank? With, and with I would say you don't have to know that. You can afford to wait. And then once yes. you see that come out, you don't have to be yes. on the bleeding edge and, and risking everything. You can say, you know what, I'm going to wait. Yes, I'll miss out on the early couple of, you know, oh. it might be a 10 bag you miss out on, but the 100 bag that comes after that, exactly. once you know, exactly. or when you can reasonably assess that there's more value to be created. It's my favorite, my favorite, I forget who it was now, but one of my favorite line recently is you watch, look for the dominant network effect, mm. buy it. Right. <laughs> yeah. But wait though, yes. right? Yeah, Dude, yeah, wait. Yeah, you, yeah. you want to see clear signs that that is yes, winning yes, yes. and it gets to a point. I mean, email, email is the biggest network we've seen in decades. Ah, but, there's no, but there's no single value accretion because of that. Yes. Compared to a platform like a Facebook, for example, or a WhatsApp or Instagram or whatever, yeah. just staying in that sort of space. Yeah. Um, yeah, huge. Did you see um, TikTok's being banned from um, US government phones? I did and, not. Yeah. There so there's, there's things that come out of nowhere. Yeah. Like there were a lot of the tech giants who were really worried about that when it yeah, came along. Right. It's forced YouTube to introduce yeah. shorts yeah, and all yeah, of yeah. these kinds yeah, of things. Yeah. And now there's some geopolitical kind of angle to it as well. It could come Amazing and math. then go very yeah. quickly. Yeah. So anyway, we're meant to be answering questions, but <laughs> <laughs> we are. You're, it's such, you're, it's you're such a fascinating, no, fascinating area. You mentioned my question. I appreciate it. Uh, mate, one from, um, well, just from, from Alex, who just says, um, hi, Scott and Ram. I kind of feel bad writing with a comment and a request rather than a question but I will do it anyway. So we will do the Tony Jones. We'll take this as a comment, Alex. Let's go. He says, the comment. In the mailbag episode in February, you responded to a query raised by a listener who had been reading Peter Thornhill's book about the difference between ETFs and LICs. You concluded the returns tend to be the same, which is true at one level. But with all due respect, I'm not sure it highlighted the differences that Thornhill would make. As I understand it, the reason why Thornhill prefers LICs, that's listed investment companies, is due to the structure. Uh, the trust structure, sorry, let me start again, is due to the company versus trust structure. That's mm -hmm. what he was saying. Mm -hmm. um, and this is particularly relevant to the stability and progressivity, if that is a word it is, of dividend income. Due to the ability to retain profits, says Alex, LICs are able to generally smooth out and increase dividends over time. Now, I think that's pretty much true. He then says... Uh, this is why they are popular with retirees, both early and the normal kind. Living off dividend income would be quite a roller coaster ride with the Justin Index ETF. I suppose alternatively, you can pick your own shares with progressive or stable dividends, which I understand is the premise of Scott's everlasting income service. And it is. Thank you, mate. I think Peter Thornhill also argues that LOCs are more tax effective as they are able to pay dividends with 100% franking and can pass on capital gains as tax deductions to shareholders rather than as income. Personally, I invest in LICs, ETFs, and direct shares, so perhaps I'm getting the best, this is in brackets, or the worst, close bracket, of all worlds. I'm not sure I could ever bring myself to invest in a managed fund. At least LIC fees are usually cheap. And the request, get Peter Thornhill on the Good Oil podcast. Oh, yeah, that'd be a great guy. Alex, mm. I might do that. Alex, thank you for the suggestion, yeah. mate. We'll, um, we'll hit up, uh, hit up uh, Peter and see if, he's, see if he's keen. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. All right, mate, let's move on to another question. This one from Anon. And I will say, as I, as I like to do, uh, they put it at the very top of the email. Now, now 
you know, others would be surprised to know that we don't do as much research and as much preparation as they might think we do. So if you're going to ask a question anonymously, please put it at the top of the email, as this listener has done. As I have said before, the good people in the Motley Fool uh, member services team, Abby in particular, I'll give her a shout out. It's also very good if it's from an anonymous question, she only leaves the name off the bottom of the email. So if she's helping Smart. me help you. Uh, but if you put an on at the top, she will normally do that for us. So uh, yeah, if you don't want your name mentioned, I will do my best. I'm, I'm very fallible, Matt, as you well know. So anyway, this one does come from an honor. It says, Dear Scott and Ram, thank you for sharing your knowledge and your rants. Oh, we're good at that this week. I've been investing for just under a year now and I've had my share of duds. He says, tough start from April last year. Yeah, not a good time to be investing, particularly for tech companies. But I'm sure I would have had many more without your help. Well, we'd like to believe so. I'm afraid this question, oh dear, may trigger a few drinks. You got a bottle of something handy, mate? I, I, We're at your place. We're here in person. We can. Uh, yeah, um, I'll, I'll be able to dig something out of a box. Don't it, you it, worry. It is Sunday morning at eight o'clock, so maybe we shouldn't. Um, so the question says, "I'd like to add some value stocks to my portfolio." I know it's a clunky term, but I would like to balance that against my U.S. tech ETFs, which are largely my growth strategy. I have a couple of questions about Berkshire Hathaway and Mr. Buffett Esquire. In brackets, drink. <laughs> Whilst it may not be nice to think about, Warren is not going to last forever. Wash your mouth out with soap. He will live forever. Do you think that Berkshire shares are trading on a bit of a premium because of his name? Or put conversely, do you think Berkshire shares will drop more than perhaps a couple of percent whenever he is not at the helm or announces his retirement? This might be a specific risk for Berkshire that is predictable and will happen in the short to medium term and make investing in them now less attractive even given their past record over decades. Therefore, would it be best, asks the questioner, to keep going with the growth strategy for now and then invest in Berkshire when the price drops? And no, the irony of value investing into Berkshire is not lost on me. Following on, can you recommend some similar companies or managed funds to Berkshire or have, which has a value strategy in the US? As I understand it, by definition, an ETF can't do value investing. The ETFs I've found that have the word value in them are basically just large cap defensive or low PE stock bundles. And finally, do you think Berkshire will continue in the same vein once Messrs Buffett and Munger are no longer steering the ship? Thanks once again and full on. Mm, that's a great question. Trouble is with that, uh, the, uh, let's call it the mortality risk. That's <laughs> a way to put it. People have, been, people have been preparing for that for the last uh, 20 years. You know it. I yeah, want to say. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, as every day goes by, it becomes a higher probability. Assuming but, he's not immortal. Yes, assuming that. But I mean, he could live for another 10 years or yeah. who knows. Yeah. Um, uh, I, mean, I was, was going to say he's only 92. I mean, Charlie's 99, right? So uh, Seven years if he matches Charlie. Between, between uh, the recording and publishing of this podcast, Warren could leave this mortal coil or he could be here in 10 years' time. Yeah, yeah. so there, there is that. But the more important point is, is that if you go back and read the Buffett letters, mm. like he's been preparing for this for decades. Yes. For decades. And the, the, the reason why he is able to run Berkshire out of a tiny little office in Omaha <laughs> is because he is, he is not a micromanager, right? So they make the very big decisions and then they just let their managers get on with it. Mm. So the, he, he gets all the attention, of course, but that, that institution is chock full of very high caliber people. Mm-hmm. Um, there is, uh, I've gone blank, Todd or- Yep, Todd and Ted. Todd and Ted, the uh, heirs apparent. The flower pot men. Have, have been <laughs> um, uh, 
they're under no illusions as to how, how the uh, sauce is made. Correct. Right? Now, uh, will they be as good? You know, will they uh, be able to meet that very high standard? Who knows? Maybe they'll mm. do better. But they're not going to take Berkshire in an entirely different direction. Yeah. So I don't think it's much to, to worry about. Mm-hmm. What will the market do on the day? It'll probably go down. Mm. But I would I, – I, 10 years afterwards, and if I were to show you a chart and say pick the point at which that was announced, <laughs> I, I, I'd be surprised if you could actually eyeball yeah, it. Yeah. It, it. It would probably be that irrelevant in the full scheme of things. Mm-hmm. So I'm not advocating to invest with Berkshire or not, mm. but if you are – or if you're not, don't just do it because you're waiting for Warren to drop off the perch, you yeah. know, because you could be a long wait. <laughs> and, and I think that uh, – uh, there's just so much. There's so much institutional memory and mm. culture and stuff there that it will. I, I well, you know, one change I do suspect. I suspect they'll start paying dividends. Yeah, because there's just so much cash they just can't deploy it effectively, and they'll have no choice to pay a dividend. So I, I, yeah, I think you're absolutely right about all those things, actually, mate. Um, I'm going to add a couple of thoughts. Uh, the first is that let's say it's five years to Warren dies, and let's say Berkshire Hathaway shares have doubled between now and then, and then they fall five percent. Yeah, all right. Will you be happy you waited until Warren died? Probably not. Now, averages are averages, and he might die tomorrow. And if you waited till Tuesday, maybe you get a good price, right? So I don't know what happens. So, but first thing is, if it's if it's X years away and you choose not to invest you may have lost a massive opportunity or not. The shares might be exactly the same in five years' time. Yeah. All I'm saying is it, there's, there's plenty of people, that they, there's a thing called buy the dip, right? You buy when the shares fall. And people who wait for the share price to go up 20% before buying after a 5% dip have just cost themselves 15%. That's the most moronic thing. God, there's is. so many dumb sayings in our industry, but buy the dip, it's got to be here's, up there. And here's why, and this is <laughs> slight mini tangent rant. Um, if, you're in, if you're in the stock sales business, in other words, you're a stockbroker, uh, what do you want to do? You want to tell people what they want to hear. You want to convince them to buy or sell because you get ma- you're paid either way. So you don't really I'm care. I'm happy either way. Right? Yeah. Uh, so you, you find opportunities to say things that seem sensible on the surface and make you sound smart. So wouldn't you rather buy when things are cheaper? Yes, I would. Wouldn't you rather buy a pair of jeans when they're on special than not? Yes, I would. Mm. So why don't you wait till the jeans come on special? That's a very good idea. I should do that. Yeah. So why don't you buy your stocks the same way? Good idea. I'll buy the dip. Mm-hmm. The thing is, jeans don't go up roughly on average 10% a year. Right? <laughs> and so you, you, you literally are, you know, I'm not saying buy anything at any price or every time you buy, you should buy anything. Yeah, Ch- choose the right price for the right company. But that's exactly the point, mate. Your point about the, you know, if it goes up from 10% then falls five, are you smart for buying the dip? Well, I guess if it's gone down 5%, you might as well buy it rather than buying it at, at a higher price. But yeah. you know, buying, it, buying it earlier would have been much better overall. It's worse than that though because you – you don't a dip isn't obvious until after the fact. <laughs> yeah, that's also All true. I know is that the share price yep. has come down. Yep. And is it a dip at five percent? Yep. Is it a dip at ten percent? And does you know, it go further or does it go straight back up? Yeah, yeah. dip, dip, dip all the way down. And everyone dipped all the way to zero. There's plenty of companies <laughs> yeah. that do that. So you what when you look at a chart and you see a yep. dip, that's one that has fallen and then come back after a certain point. You can say with yeah. hindsight, there was the dip, and you can say the most useless statement ever, which is, had you bought there, you would have done better, which yeah. is, yeah, thanks, hindsight, Harry. <laughs> Tell me right. now, is, is this a yeah. dip or is this the start of a structural decline in the business? Correct. You Correct. don't know. So it's just, there's that, there's don't catch a falling knife, there's- yeah. Oh my God! There's so many dumb say, or you know, stop losses. There's I'm always going to get hate mail when I say don't all go this. Broke taking a profit. You don't go broke taking a profit. Is another <laughs> one I love. We should and, we should actually do an episode one day just on these on these oh, things. There's, there's a million ones. If we sat down and thought about yeah. it, like, we'd come up with dozens of them. Yeah. And they, as you say, you've hit the nail on the head. They are all 
designed there to to encourage overactivity, hyperactivity and stuff yep. when most of the time you shouldn't do a damn thing. So there's that. Um, second thing, so your second question was about recommending similar companies or managed funds to Berkshire that have a value strategy in the US. Um, so ETFs, I won't go into a lot of these ETFs now. We've talked about this before. Um, really, really slight plug. We have an ETF service, so feel free to look at that one. Uh, fool.com.au slash join slash ETF slash investor. Um, we have a report on why not all ETFs are the same. There are active ETFs and there are passive ETFs. So to your question about aren't all ETFs just you know, buying a slice of the market, large caps only or something? No, there are ETFs that are value investor run. doesn't make them good, by the way. So don't just because they, just because they exist, but they are out there. One I will mention actually is the Van Eck Moat ETF. Is it Van Eck? I think it's Van Eck. Mm, sounds about right. Morningstar. Morningstar yep. Moat. There's, there's more ETFs than there are anyway, companies, so it's hard the, to keep. The code going. on the ASX is Moat, M-O-A-T. Um, these guys do take a value strategy. We have recommended this one to our members years ago. It's still an active recommendation. So it's one to have a look at if you want to. Um, I wouldn't try and have value stocks as well as growth stocks for the sake of it, though. I don't think you need to artificially. I, I, I've cautioned people before about not taking a Noah's Ark strategy. You don't need two of everything, right? Yeah. Just because there are airline stocks, don't buy them. Just because there are energy stocks, don't buy them. Just because there are buy now, pay later stocks, don't buy them. Buy them if they're worth buying. Mm. But you don't have to have two of everything, right? So, yeah. I, and by the way, I hope if you diversify away from growth, if you think it's hot, too high risk, but don't chase value just because it's called value. Don't chase growth just because it's called growth, right? I think there's there's ways of doing it. We can't tell you personally what you should do it on, um, but we can say just you know think about think about that one. Can I just add one yes. quick thing too? It's it's speaking of things that annoy me. I actually I actually <laughs> like, every, well, quote Charlie Munger. Every invest every sensible investing. Mm. Let me start again. All sensible investing is value investing. Yep. And that's not to say that if you're investing in growth, you're an idiot and you should only do it the way that Charlie. What he's basically saying right. is that whether the company has a lot of growth potential, whether it's a company that's just going to tick along at 2 or 3% growth, or whether it's even if it's a company that's falling um, mm -hmm. in, in sales each year, there is a point which represents an attractive price that will allow for a good return. Yep. Now, if I'm going for the latest technology stock, I, I still can overpay for it. Mm. Anything that you buy has to be at good value. Yes. If it's not, it's implicit in the term. If it's not, <laughs> by definition, yes. you are going, if you buy it at value, at fair value, you'll get mm -hmm. the, the, the market return. Yep. Uh, above it, you'll get you'll get less. Below yep. it. So, so whether it's a telco, uh, a hyper growth stock, emu farm, whatever, <laughs> you want to pay a good price for it. Yeah, you want to buy it for less than it's worth. I like the term GARP, which is growth at reasonable price. Because all my companies are quote-unquote growth companies. Yeah. In other words, they're, 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 they're growing. Business, they're yeah. new, uh, younger, earlier stage businesses growing faster. Yeah. But uh, I can still look, – look at the people who bought Brainchip a year ago. Yeah. Look at the people who bought Webit Nano. Yeah. By the way, I'm not. Don't at me on Twitter for God's sake, because I know that <laughs> there's a very chip, passionate. You community. mentioned brainship, not me. And and good on you. I don't care. You know, it's not. It's. <laughs> I I actually think, to be fair, that there's yeah. a lot of really exciting stuff happening at those companies. Yeah. But the point is, is that anyone who bought them a year ago has been absolutely devastated because they they, they were paying prices yeah. that assumed not just success but incredible success and not that far off. Right. And so oh. yeah. All Brain investing chip, is value. Brainchip got to dollar seventy six in January twenty twenty two. It's now fifty two cents. I mean, nothing's. No, by the way, nothing's changed with the business. In yeah, fact, exactly. the business has gotten closer yeah. to commercial reality than it's ever been before. Yeah. But this, again, I'm not trying to pitch or not pitch for Price it. I'm the company different things. You just you've you've got to you you, you can buy the best in, uh, company in the world. You pay too much, mm -hmm. you're going to do your dough. My one from Sam who says a quick note for Andrew. 
who mentioned Phil Lowe's $500,000 wage. So what would he know about being the average punter? Phil Lowe's, Phil Lowe's salary is actually nearly double that amount, says Sam, <laughs> and his total remuneration is north of $1 million, making him one of the country's highest paid bureaucrats. Good work if you can get it. Please enjoy this information. <laughs> Cheers, Sam. <laughs> That's a pretty high-class troll, that one. Oh, I love that. Not only is he saying you're wrong, he's also saying you're wrong and you're going to hate the yeah, fact that- it's, like- even, it's even worse than you thought. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Hey, by the way, I mean, I, you've got to be careful with that, don't you? Because at the end of the day, mm. you do want- you want the best you can get. Yeah. It's got a pretty important job. Yeah. And I'm sure you could find someone to do it for 50 grand a year. Yeah, that's right. You know? Good luck, yeah. Uh, but but Terry from around the corner, <laughs> you don't want his hand on the lever, <laughs> you know? Right. And 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 by the way, I'm no great fan of Phil Lowe either, so yeah, I'm not trying yeah, to say yeah. that he he himself has personally deserved. I'm just saying yeah. as a general rule, yeah. there, are, there are some bureaucratic positions that get paid really, really well. Yeah. But there is a part of me that recognises, well, if that's the market rate, and the proviso with. here is they are actually competent and good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Then yeah. maybe that's that's a better thing. I I, that's, I struggle with that one, mate. And I because I, I think it's both things can be true at the same time. Yeah. Executive salaries are stupid. Yep. Like stupid. Like the multiples of average weekly weekly earnings are out of control. Yep. By the same token, given that's true, now you can you can try and fix that. So that let's assume that you choose to either fix it or you don't, or you fix it or you don't, whatever way. Yep. Once there's a prevailing price. Which central banker would you like? The most qualified bloke who takes the money you offer yeah. or the 35th most qualified bloke, or lady, by the way, which is you know, Phil as a bloke, so I'm going with that, who after the first 34 said, no, thank you, I can get paid more working for Macquarie. Yeah. You know, and, and maybe there's no difference. Maybe maybe you can throw a blanket over the field. You know, If you want a, a, a I don't want to disparage anyone's, anyone's uh, profession here, so I actually won't mention it, but you know, if you want someone to do a, a relatively menial, unskilled job, you'd probably have to pay a lot because you can't yeah. screw it up that badly. Yeah. The more the more expertise you want, the more history, the more experience, the more whatever you want. If, you know, and some will do it for nothing. You know, people yeah. point out that Jerome Powell does it for, I think it's 200 grand a year, something like that in the US, right? Mm-hmm. Bigger economy, blah, blah, blah. Great. I think it's fantastic. Now, he's also independently wealthy. So, yeah. you know, do you only want to choose from the ranks of the independently wealthy? That's yeah. its own version of discrimination and its own issues around, yeah. you know, is he really going to know more than Flo, who's at least worked his way out from a lowly, be a conocrat, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's it's a difficult combination. I don't I don't want execs paid these sort of numbers. I don't think it's a good idea. I don't think it's great for society. By the way, in aggregate, the dollar value of that is not so big that it actually makes any difference anyway. Yeah. It's mostly just a psychic issue rather than rather than yeah. genuine economic one. Um, but it's still obscene. So you know, I'm, I'm happy to, for action to be taken or not. Um, but I'm also mindful. Like, so this is speaking. Of, hey, let me be even more um, controversial. I would actually pay our politicians double what they're getting paid now. Yeah. And as a result, I, and I, by the way, I would keep their very, very generous post-politics pensions mm-hmm. and I would ban them from working in any job that dealt with government. So that they're straight out. I, I, will, I, will, I will choose to limit your post-parliamentary options, but I will pay you well for that privilege. Yeah. Because I want to know that you are there for the right reason. Yeah. I want you not to say, I could run for politics, but I'd rather keep my job at XYZ Merchant Bank. Mm-hmm. And I'd rather say to someone after they left, don't go and use those skills to make some money for yourself. Mm. You're out. Mm. No lobbying, no whatever. No, you can't work in the industry. You that should be the lowest hanging fruit of all. Just like at least say right. you can't go into the lobby industry. But, but to do that, I, I have no problem saying, okay, but but recognizing that, mm. you know, what is what is what does Barack Obama go and do after being president? Mm. No, you don't go on, you don't go and run the, the Atlanta Coke bottling plant. Yeah. Like what do you do? You don't do anything. There's no there's no career. So yeah. pay him a decent amount. Now, not everyone's Barack Obama, but you know, honestly, for the politicians, pay them well. Pay mm. them really well so we get the best. Yeah. Pay them well so they don't have to go and feel like they've got to choose to, you know, lobby or do something else. I just, I just, think, I, 
horribly controversial and a lot of people out there yelling at the podcast machine right now I just think it's I think it's the right approach yeah yeah I mean it's a whole other topic I actually thinking about the other day there's almost should be a, a, a department that uh, call it the department of incentives <laughs> and what you do I is that it. you have to you have to structure people's jobs within the bureaucracy and the public service <laughs> in a way that aligns them to the interests that That's we have good. it's, you, it's again show me the incentive I'll show you the outcome yeah and I think so many of the problems we have, it's not because people are evil. People are just people and we're all we're dumb monkeys, right? So we're all going to do what we've always done. Monkeys and shoes. We really are. And, and so it's just, it's just if, if you have a temptation in mm. front of you, mm. you can say, oh, yeah, but they won't do that. Well, maybe they won't. Maybe the next 10 won't. But sooner or later it will. And I just think if there's either a carrot or a stick around that, mm. where if you do, you know, let's say that we've got someone who's running Sydney Water, for example. Mm. They do a fantastic job. Million-dollar bonus. No problem with that whatsoever. You know, poison half of the eastern suburbs, then, okay, maybe there's, <laughs> maybe there's a stick waiting for you there as well. But, yeah. Yep. Anyway, we've diverted well off topic. Well and truly have. And I've got to get this question in, mate, because of the intro that James gives us. He says, to the only slightly less successful version of Hamish and Andy. I'm not sure if you're Hamish or I'm Hamish or you're Andy or I'm Andy. I'm not sure how we would even work that. Who likes Lego? You probably like Lego more than I do. Mm. You're a Lego fan? Uh, Lego? Yeah. Yeah, I love Lego. Oh, yeah. So Hamish does the Lego Masters. You can be Hamish, I'll be Andy. Yeah, okay. Um, let's, <laughs> let's, let's start there. All right. So anyway, the question is from James. Thanks again. Oh, so he butters up. Thanks again for doing the show every week and answering my previous questions. I cannot put a price on the value of your service. As the dividends are priced to infinity. I can say that. And then he says, now that I've butted you up, onto my question, <laughs> which I appreciate is a bit long-winded. I was hoping you'd humor me and take a question that is less about investing in shares per se and more about investing in a career and particularly about working through the right process in reaching a decision. Can I tell you, James, if you cannot ask for life advice, you're in the very, very wrong place, mate. But we will do our best anyway. You've asked the question. We will do you the, the honor of answering it, but uh, I'd get a second opinion at least. Anyway, he says, in short, what pathway to pursue out of a stable career, founding a business, or getting in early-ish in the right business on a clear way to IPO or acquisition? And to be clear, this question is Andrew's fault for putting me onto the thinkings of Taleb, Naval, and the loaded coin. Wow. Without giving you my full details, I'm going to start this off by saying this is very much a champagne problem, but might also be useful to those who are in a less fortunate position than me. I didn't grow up with much, but find myself relatively young in a financial services career and earning much more than the average Aussie. I work hard in a relatively high-pressure environment. I'm happy doing so, and I expect to continue to do so moving forward. Um. He says, renting, renting a significant portion of my time out for money is fine for the next 20 to 30 years. In other words, working for a wage. I don't foresee myself ever being satisfied with taking on a low-pressure nine-to-five job for less money, notwithstanding the potential lifestyle benefits. Don't rule it out, can I say, but let's move on. Mm. Oh, and I actually quite like my job, which is something not many can say. But what do I want? Not to be a tech founder or a Russian oligarch, but to move through life comforted that my work is worth the sacrifice financially, which to me means paying the mortgage, school fees, holidays, and other bills while accumulating savings and investments at a reasonable rate without constantly feeling stretched between now and when the kids are old enough to move out. And yes, I'm consciously trying to fight the income creep issue. That is massive. My musings on this issue have left me with three key options in mind. One, keep doing what I'm doing. The pros, a stable job, I continue to earn a relatively good living. If I make it in a high management, difficult but achievable, I can make a very high income, probably 12 to 20 years away. I'll have a decent retirement nest egg. I like what I do. The cons, 
The likelihood of doing away with financial stretch issue in the next 10 to 20 years is low, as it just isn't paying enough unless an unexpected windfall is received. So that's option one. Option two is start a business. Pros, joys of entrepreneurship, creating your own destiny, working your way, potential huge financial upside. I could sell at some point, 10 or 20 or 20 years from now, and be set up to take things easier from there. The cons are the pain of entrepreneurship. High stress, high risk, high chance of losing it all financially and oh, professionally. God, yeah. Lots of things have to go right. The zero to one challenge, which is a Peter Thiel book. Peter Thiel? Peter Thiel. Thiel. Peter Thiel book for new businesses is really hard. I'm not confident I'm naturally entrepreneurial enough to pull off a new business from scratch. Or three, find a solid pre-IPO company that I believe has a business capable of IPOing or for being acquired in the next three to five years, i.e. not a specky miner or a biotech. Leverage my skill set to join with a role that grants me options, see it through to IPO and remain at least partially invested for the following few years before selling it all. The pros of that would be the business idea is already somewhat proven, relatively high reward while taking significant risk off the table. And if pulled off, I can go back to a stable career if I choose, knowing my house, bills and retirement savings are already taken care of. The cons, still a lot of things that need to go right that are outside my control. The downside is somewhat still elevated. And of course, my judgment of what is a good pre-IPO business, he says in brackets, we know how most IPOs turn out. We'd love your thoughts on the right or wrong ways to think about this. Thanks again and full on from James. Very different question, but you are a man Big who question. arguably has been through at least two of these three different yeah. ideas. You've you've made the leap from successful, stable employment to entrepreneurship, founding the um, oh, what's Strawman again? It's an, it's online a, investment. That's club. right, founding yeah. online investment club right, called, <laughs> called Strawman. Uh, I don't know if you've ever considered joining a pre-IPO uh, tech company, Ben. Maybe you have. <laughs> what, what do you think? What should James be, be considering as he, as he kind of weighs all this up? Uh, I mean, look, I can't answer that. That's, that's uh, such a difficult question. Um, I think one of the biggest factors in starting a business is naivety. And I'm dead serious <laughs> about that. I don't think, I think place, huh? you ask, you ask, you know, a hundred people who have started a business, even the successful ones and said, you know, would you do it again? I don't know. I don't know because it, 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 you you underestimate the yeah. the level of work and the amount of stress and mm. the financial hardship. It's 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 real. I can tell you, it's really real, and and it's also at the same time, it's wonderfully exciting right. as well. So, um, and what's what's the right path? I don't know. I guess mm. the the only so it's such a big question. I'm going to try and answer it simply, which is, I think. The older I get in particular, I more and more believe this. Do what you love and you'll never yeah. work a day in your life. Yeah. I, I would you could offer me a job, you know, ten times what I'm on, but I have to work eighty hours a week <laughs> lifting, you know, mm. a ton of bricks up the hill and back. I just I couldn't do it, right? I just there's there's they're at a point, it's like once my basic needs have been met, I just want to live life. I want to be able to see the kids. Yeah. You know, I'm never gonna be sitting on my deathbed and going, Oh, if I just worked a bit harder in the third quarter of 23, I could have got a bigger bonus. Like, you know, I'm right, not, right. you're not going to care about that. And study yeah. after study after study shows it. So I can't tell you what lights mm. your fire. Mm. I don't know where you sit on the risk spectrum, but I think you've, you've kind of laid it all out, uh, frankly, in terms of the thinking mm. and you just have to make, make, make that decision. But I, I, it's very easy to say, don't focus on the money but it's easier to say that once you get past a, a certain <laughs> yeah, that's point. True too. And by the sounds of it, like, you know, they're, they're doing pretty well for themselves. Mm -hmm. So for me, extra money wouldn't, that's just me though, right? Yep. Extra money yep. wouldn't be the, the, the key motiv motivator for the sake of it. Lifestyle yep. and, and is the big one for me. 
Yeah, I think that's right. I, I don't want to moralise because we're old buggers, mate. And, and it sounds like our questioner is James is, is a bit younger than we are. Um, I, yeah, I'm the same. I, in fact, I, I've said this before. I, I took a 25% pay cut during the Motley Fool back in mm. 2011. Um, and that was big because, you know, my wife and I were, were, were younger than we were today and, and we're planning to have a, another kid and all that kind mm. of stuff. And, um, you know, that was a big call for us. And we, and we did it because... I'm bloody lucky that I've got a wonderful wife, frankly, but I did it because I wanted to do this job. This, yeah. this is the job I wanted to do, right? And yep. so could I, and, and I, you know, could Would I- Would you go to Macquarie that, tomorrow if they said, here you go, Scott, 350 grand a year base plus bonuses, mm. what do you reckon? <laughs> I don't think I would, mate. I don't think you I'd the only reason I asked the question because I didn't think you would, but I you made me doubt myself after oh, you, you think, paused well, there I mean, for a second. Like, well, as, as Kerry Packer would, had, had famously said, you know, uh, there's a bit of that in all of us. Name, name your price, gentlemen, is what he said. <laughs> there's a price, I guess. I mean, yeah. If, I thought that if was he a said, if he said a million dollars, I might have said, you know, yeah. okay, sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, at some point, it brings forward enough income that, you know, I'm, I'm closer to retirement or financial freedom, which is more the point, right, rather yeah. than retirement proper. But I love what I do. I, I get paid pretty well. Um, you know, not, not as much. I, I, if I was still in my old career, I'd be on more than I'm on now. That's just, that's just the reality of, of what I did, mm-hmm. right? And so mm-hmm. – um, but I, I, I have a job I love. I, I'm very lucky I can work flexibly. Um, it's, a, it's a great position to be in. Mm. And James, if you love what you're doing that, and, and you're not making too many other sacrifices to do it, I think, I think your point about the deathbed thing is a really good one. I feel like bloody agony art, right? James, James knows what, what he's doing. But uh, there are so many people who work harder because they want to buy the things that working hard yeah. gives them mm. because I think that's important. Mm. And... You know, as they as they say, I've been I've been miserable with money and miserable without money. It's better to be miserable with money. So yes. I get it. Yeah. But by the same token, you know, don't don't give up the things that actually genuinely make your you happy and mm. give you a satisfied life. If you're someone who wants to work and be a tight industry, then go for it. That's gonna that's gonna turn you on for your whole life. Knock yourself out. Yeah. Right? For me, um, I wouldn't trade more hours in the office for less time with the kids. I just that's just I, I wouldn't make that choice. Right. Yeah. So that's just me. And and everyone's different. So do your own thing. Um, I. <clears throat> I think the, the the problem with questions two and three is it comes down to how much you're prepared to lose. And you already mentioned the loaded coins. So you're already you're already on that page, and I get it. Um, in theory, the the benefit of winning a dollar and the cost of losing a dollar are exactly the same in, in statistics, right? Mm. But if you'd said to me, well, actually, you can forego next ten years of income, try and build a business that might generate five times the income if it if it does well, or nothing if it doesn't. Now, five times the income would be wonderful, mm. but but no income replacement at all for 10 years would be terrible. Yeah. And so when I think about those options, I'm not entrepreneurial. I've got a lot of business ideas, but I, 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 don't, I don't, you know, the downside of me missing those years of income aren't worth the upside of being even more than that because it, it, the impact on life is very different. Yeah. I, would, I would have more money that I could spend, which is not very useful, or I could have no money that actually needed, which is really, really painful. Mm. So the, even, even the dollar amounts might be the same, the, the impact is, is very different. Yep. Can I say too, what's interesting, I heard this uh, a few months ago now, but they did mm. a survey of, a, of very wealthy people. Mm. One of the things they found out um, was that uh, they don't perceive themselves mm. as wealthy. Mm. Yep. And you think, how is that possible? But it's it's a very common phenomenon across all kinds of social uh, issues where, mm. where you mm. compare yourself to your peer group. So you're doing extremely well, you're earning a million dollars a year, 
you're a member of the powerboat yacht club whatever <laughs> yeah but you know good old terry from around the corner again has mm-hmm. a has a 60 foot yacht as opposed to your foot you tend to benchmark yourself to your so to your peers That's which is so why true. you can have very wealthy people not still feel worse off still feel worse off and here's the other great uh, 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 finding from psychology as well which is that we always imagine if only I had that much more I'd be Mm -hmm. happy if I got Mm -hmm. that pay rise and and as you say it's more is all else being equal is is always better when you come back and you and um, you check in on those people again Mm -hmm. after the fact the happiness returns to baseline yeah and it goes the other way. So people who have been in horrific accidents and maybe they've found themselves in a wheelchair or a big change in, in their life circumstances that on paper is, well, it's not the kind of thing I would hope for. Yeah. Their happiness normalizes as well. We are incredibly adaptive here. And mm. and so for me, there is a point where you want to have security, but after that, the money's just not going to make you happy. Yeah. Yep. And again, you said enjoy his job and that's all great and knock yourself out. Um, at the same time, don't lie in your deathbed thinking, oh, I always, I always <laughs> had this passion <laughs> right. to run a cafe yes. in Barrel or something. He's like, chase your dreams, yep. you know, especially when you've got the capacity to do it. I think like, that's, isn't that Bezos's, uh, Bezos's Bezos line, the regret minimization framework? Yes, that I love And that. it basically, it doesn't come out of what should I do, but what would I regret not doing? Yes. And, that, and, and I think the only thing I would say with that is don't ask yourself a binary question. Yeah. Would I regret not having a million dollars? Yes. Would I regret giving up uh, every weekend with my family to have a million dollars in 40 years time yeah actually yes yeah. so so you've got to put all the components in you can't just ask yourself the binary question you know do i would i get more time with the kids yes but i regret yeah. not having many dollars yes well, yeah if, they, if you're mutually exclusive then you're not doing yourself a favor but yeah, yeah ask the question you know we do you know given the given the trade-offs which would i regret more and that probably Great uh, give, you a, give you a sense of, of the answer. There's a whole lot of professionally successful people who are miserable so and so's and have terrible relationships, right? And that's just uh, uh, everyone, everyone's. Yeah. And you know what? I will say the other thing is, Anna and I wouldn't be doing this if we weren't these people, right? So you're asking the wrong people. You're asking people who've already made that decision for for ourselves based on our personal personalities. Mm. If you ask some high profile, high powered, hundred hour a week lawyers, they would say, "No, this is exactly what you should do because that's what I've done." Yeah. We're all talking our book to some yeah, degree. Um, we make our own choices. We have to rationalize to ourselves right? as well. Exactly. Like you're going to say, "Oh, I really regret the path I took in life." Totally, we totally. always rationalize. So it's um yeah, it's a it's a it's a big deal, mate. I reckon we've pretty much filled our quota. Uh, I'm hoping your next week is slightly better, housewise than than the last one. Yeah, well, well, we'll see. I've I've got um a few little things in the works that um. If it lands that way, great. If it doesn't, I've got an awesome Twitter thread to write. So <laughs> come and subscribe because let's just say that, that you know, oh um, there are various dramas bubbling away in the background that <laughs> if, if you like to grab a bit of popcorn and enjoy some, uh, oh you know, some schadenfreude, then I got some stuff for you. I'm not sure whether to look forward to it or be scared for it. Uh, all I all I will say, mate, is your lady wife is very very patient. <laughs> well, with me or with, yes. with uh, why? Anyway, let's move on. <laughs> uh, no, you I, you don't want to get her started as well. She'll <laughs> she'll she'll chew your ear off about how crappy this situation is. Don't you worry. In the meantime, do yourself a favor. Andrew's given you every reason to go and follow him on Twitter at uh, Sage underscore Simeon or at Strawman Investment or and do both Strawman Invest and Sage underscore Simeon. You follow me on Twitter or Insta at TMF Scott P. Follow me on Facebook at facebook.com slash Scott Phillips Money. And of course, if you want to send us a question. Email 
email us, info at fool.com.au, and we will do our level best to get it on our very special Sunday Mailbag Edition, which you've just been listening to, and we deeply, deeply appreciate it. Thank you for listening. Have a great rest of your weekend. And until next time, Fool on. See you next week. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.